You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Wisdom Podcast We're here at the Oval yet again, long, long overdue But thankfully I've got the comfort as host of Illusion Andaraja To have sat opposite me, editor-in-chief of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker Morning, Bish. You've grown in so many ways. Thank you, my love. Almost in front of my eyes. Yeah, yeah it happens. And then I'll wither. Yeah. yeah, the older I get. We're also joined by Andy Zaltzman. How about that? Exactly, yeah. Andy Zaltzman, comedian, TMS statistician, satirist for Hire Tour from July, The Bugle Live from July, right questions, wrong answers at the Edinburgh Festival, a man with as many gigs as Andy Flower at the ECV. <laughs> Andy, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. That was a joke. I've always wanted to be compared to Andy Flower. I think we're we're peas in a pod in terms of the seriousness with which we approach life. <laughs> I saw him last for the first time the other day, and I thought he was broken. Really? He's short-circuited at some point. But no, good to have you here. I thought you were going to say something. Before I yeah, no, I changed my mind, which is not ideal for a podcast. <laughs> I just think of Andy Flower, I interviewed him a few years ago and got him to uh, fiddle around with the Rubik's Cube where I put little images of the England players on each of the squares and he was trying to rearrange it and he was dressed in a, in a tuxedo because he was just about to go to some do and he looked like a kind of Victorian conjurer. Okay, sorry, can I just interrupt With the, with the Rubik's Cube, with Flavian Flower's picture. Was this some kind of booze-addled dream? <laughs> this is absolutely true. Andy Flower with a Rubik's Cube. Andy Flower with a Rubik's Cube. In, in a, there was this giant dog trying to get him through a window. In a tuxedo. It happened, it happened. I have magazine proof somewhere right. in the vaults. You didn't wake up desperately. No, no. He turned to me, very innovative, guys. Very yeah. innovative, he yeah. said. Uh, and then tore a strip off me because we put it on the front cover and that wasn't part of the gig. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. He just thought He's never was... spoken to me since. <laughs> Hope you're out there, Andy. Was this in the Peterson days? Was there a little picture? It, 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 yeah, it was. It was around that time, right. yeah. But it hadn't gone quite as sour by so that he point. he wasn't smashing the Rubik's Cube to pieces with a sledgehammer? No, he was leaning kind of quite insouciantly against the door and posing <laughs> excellently with, with said Rubik's Cube. Ravi Bapara was 
what I did is I kind of printed out a number of Ravis and stuck them on various parts of the Rubik's Cube, so right. he'd kind of be subliminally convinced to pick him. Right. He did, and then he bummed out. Right. I mean, that might be the most sophisticated way of selecting a cricket team. Ed Smith, eat your heart These out. modern metrics and data. <laughs> Get back to basics. Anyway, there, there's a, there's a wild tangent. Man, might end up with a nine-man team. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Even from there, Landy Flower didn't like the Mavericks, did he? <laughs> Speaking of which, England's ODI Mavericks of uh, what well, the time of recording, they're just reeling from being turned over by the jocks. Are they reeling? I think they're, they're outside playing football as we speak. Yeah, but look at them. They're, they're, they're yeah. so, they look so yeah. wistful. And, oh, Incidentally, Moe Nally, as classy with the ball at his feet as he is with the bat in his hand, I noticed this morning, he's got ages out there in the middle of the park. He's uh, very much a goal hanger, isn't he? Yeah, well, not as Root, though. Root, Root was right up there. Yeah. Root just doesn't move. From well, the, the 60-yard box. Root bats a four. We all know Root bats a four, even though he's batting a three. Yeah. And he plays up front. So. Yeah, well, and why wouldn't you? Just the way it goes. Andy, you were there scoring for TMS up yes. at the Grange, a lovely Edinburgh. Uh, I went to university there. It's a glorious place. Ooh. Now, for many more reasons. Yes. Um, what was it like? Because the atmosphere from TV and from radio, it just it, all felt amazing. Well, it was, it was fantastic. It was, uh, as you would know, having spent many years in Edinburgh, not an average day of Scottish weather. It was a glorious sunny day, full house uh, of increasing excitement, um, a brilliant game of cricket, and um, you know, a, a landmark, particularly for associate cricket. And I mean, England, you say they, they didn't look completely heartbroken at the end. And I like to think that England was thinking of the greater good of the world game. Oh, yeah. I mean, clearly they could have won that match, but they thought they need to boost associate cricket in a way that is more than playing the odd one-off token game against associate teams by actually letting them win. Genius. Well, They've done it so often. In <laughs> Ireland, yeah. in the Netherlands. They're just givers, aren't they? I like the idea that Owen Morgan gathers everyone around as Scottish celebrations are going on and people are looking downhearted and he goes, guys, but look how much it means to them. Well, he, <laughs> Owen Morgan, their little faces. He, he began in associate cricket as an international player, Owen Morgan, so he knows how important it was for England to Are you that saying game. that Owen Morgan is a sleeper agent? Is this all, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, all leading to this I'm saying it might have looked like England having got themselves into a winning position on about 48 different occasions in that chase, played a series of unfeasibly idiotic shots but actually it was all part of a master plan to globalise cricket as a sport. I think I recently saw a documentary on that, I yeah. might edit that out later on <laughs> but uh, Phil you know, mm. from, from conceding 371 for five in their first 50 overs and then the way that Bairstow went off for one one of the 48 times that England were winning this game that chance, yeah. it was just quite a remarkable game Yeah it was a stunner, I was covering it um, quite closely uh, I was doing some live blogging on it and uh, hopefully, like all right-thinking cricket fans, um, I was obviously cheering on the jocks, massively so. Um, if England had won an arse nipper, then you know everyone shakes hands and then goes home, and, and, and it's kind of it's not forgotten about, but it's put in its place. You know, plucky, plucky Scots. You know, they're making progress. But this is a, one of these kind of statement moments, really, and all the more so because it wasn't done on some kind of scrag heap somewhere. It was done on a proper belter of a track. Yeah. You know, three seventy versus three seventy. It was a proper game of cricket, won by a proper cricket team. Um, and considering yeah. they were on their knees five or six years ago, what Kurtzer and one or two others have done, um, with the help, whisper it, of you know, decent funding support from the ICC as well. Um, we can come to the 10-team stuff in a moment, if you like. 
Um, incidentally, there's some workmen in here <laughs> uh, moving the kegs of beer for the ODI that's kicking in tomorrow from, from the open. So bear with us. Those are the ones going into the dressing room. Bother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, naturally. Uh, but no, it was just a thriller. Um, I love the idea that subliminally England were, were, were kind of wanting Scotland to win. Certainly the... the you know, the weight of the cricket-loving public wanted Scotland to win, um, and it was just a joyous, joyous scene at the end. Also, they fielded out of their boots, the Scots, as well. You know, Kurtz took two really good catches. They held their nerve. It, they didn't stumble over the line by fluke. All right, Bairstow smacked one up in the air and Rude got run out. But aside from that, this was a proper squeezed piece of work from a team defending for their lives. Yeah, it was really impressive. Um, Kurtz's captaincy was super. There were, yeah. I think only Alistair Evans bowled and a spell of more than three overs, so he was not letting England settle against any specific bowlers. Mark Watt was the only bowler in the whole game. Bowled really well, didn't he? Under a runner ball, took three for 55 in his... Who got mad in the match? Was it McLeod? Uh, McLeod got mad in the match. I'd have given it to Watt. Well, you, you could make an argument for that. Certainly, we had this discussion after, Did you? after, after the game. Uh, but, I mean, it was, it was a, a tremendous all-round performance. Mm. And, yeah, they, they bowled with rather more... Craft than, than England, I thought. Yeah, and yeah. The, the limitations in England's bowling, which have been apparent even during this phase that they've had when they've been so brilliant, were rather harshly exposed without Wokes, who's is England's key bowler, the one England bowler who's regularly taken wickets in the yep. in the first ten over. I'll get onto some some rather horrifying stats. Get them. right onto them now, <laughs> Andy. Well, I was just going to say the, the quote from Owen Morgan right afterwards: "England are not the finished article after Scotland defeat." And I think you're going to touch on that now with some of these numbers. Yes, well, they are not the yeah. They're clearly. I mean, I'm not sure any team is ever the, the finished. <laughs> You've completed article. cricket. Well done, Owen. <laughs> Maybe that great Australian <laughs> team that won World Cup after World Cup. But were they happy? <laughs> they yes. look pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely thrilled. Uh, so D- David Willey's form going back now almost two years is a significant uh, problem. Uh, since, uh, well, in fact, since the start of the South Africa series last summer in this country, he's um, taken the new ball eight times and only taken two wickets for over 180 runs in those the, the first 10 overs of those innings so um, that's so it's a misnomer well. then that with the new ball this, this is when he's he, yeah, he shows he his work um, he's something of a he's something of a passenger as well at that point because after he does his work up top he's rarely brought back at the end to finish things off yeah, yeah well, really really he actually bowled two decent out. overs coming back against the Scots yeah. having gone I think 36 from this first four or something like that. But yeah, and it was only the second time in his last sort of 12 ODIs that he's bowled the full, really? full 10. Wow. He was, he was used in the, in the middle overs around about over 24, 25, and he'd almost, I think, almost never bowled in that period of the innings for England right. before. But the thing that he's specifically in the team to do, which is swing it early and take wickets, he's just not done now for, for two years. Um, and England has a, a problem that they've... During this phase when they've been so successful, um, they've only really had three regular wicket takers. Wokes, uh, Plunkett, and Rashid are all averaging around about 27. Apart from that, everyone's averaging over 40. It doesn't necessarily mean in ODR cricket they've been bowling badly, but it mm. suggests that England struggled to take wickets. Even if Stokes is averaging over 40, uh, this, this is in the last uh, in the last two years. Uh, Willie Woods heading up towards 50 now. Moen, uh, who generally bowls quite tight, but he doesn't pick up. Many wickets, um, so it's a. I, I think it's a. Problem. Rashid, on the other hand, I guess will, his figures will be way down compared to the others in terms of average. You know. Yeah, so he's averaging I think 27 in the last uh, yeah since May 2016, yeah. 68 wickets 
average 27.5 with an economy rate of 5.3. He's a kind of reluctant is, figurehead, which is character though, isn't he, yeah. Rashid? But, but he, it doesn't tend to sort of run through size. And I think that maybe that's no. a weakness for England looking ahead to the, to the World Cup. Do they have someone who can, you know, in a game that's going away from them, do they have someone who can suddenly turn it? I don't know if they do with the ball, they clearly do with the bat. Yeah, well, Wood has been earmarked for that role for two years now, uh, in Test cricket as well, and it's, it's an ongoing mystery, really. He doesn't do an enormous amount with the ball, and he's not absolutely express quick, is he? Since he's had these ankle problems, he's not quite pushing 90 mile an hour as regularly as he was a year or two ago. He's been kind of groomed for that, for that role, that shock jock role in the middle of the innings. But it's not really happening for England at the moment. And they've, they've looked to Plunkett as well, you know, who's been great really over the last couple of years, considering we thought his career as an England player was long and you know, gone, gone and forgotten. Uh, but again, he's susceptible as well to off days. He got whacked the other day. And I mean, the, the one outside of the team is Joffre Archer, who. There's a considerable noise around for obvious reasons. He's been tearing it up in the IPL and in the Big Bash, um, taking wickets for fun for Sussex. And his qualification period is the subject of uh, a decision that the ECB now have to make. And uh, Owen Morgan was very categorical the other day. He said even if they were to bring forward his qualification period so he'd be available for the World Cup, he wouldn't be featuring in our team, which struck me as rather surprising and maybe is indicative of where this England team is, that they are uh, comfortable with the 13-14 they've got and they're not going to look outside of that. But that's dangerous, I think, a year out from a, from a major yeah. tournament. And I think it's, it's yeah, I mean, dangerous. We mentioned Willie Stats Woods since taking four for 33 against Australia in the Champions Trophy last year. Uh, six wickets in his next nine matches at an average approaching 70. Yeah. So, um, uh, probably over 70, actually, because I've not updated this in, before the Scotland game. But... Um, it's a. They clearly. I think they definitely need one new bowler, whether it's one of the the, the current or some. You know, even. I mean, with the number of all rounders they've got, they've always yeah. got space for a like a luxury shot bowler. You know, someone who's quick. Like we saw Ollie Stone in the T20. Who bowled really well the other really, day on TV. Really fast and started the season pretty well. Yeah. They they can afford. You know, a sort of luxury bowler, a shot bowler, even if they only bowl five overs in an innings, which was essentially what Willie was doing. Yeah, yeah. He was not generally bowling the full ten. Vish, yeah. you, you've watched an obscene amount of county cricket, an unhealthy <laughs> amount over the last two or three years. It, yeah. What is the uh, medically advised amount of county cricket to watch? <laughs> They're an odd like, recommended yearly allowance. <laughs> I, don't, I feel like it's a bit like radiation poisoning. Like even when you've left it alone, it still lives within right. you and eats away slowly <laughs> at your insides. Um, that's such a good. I mean, people say county cricket doesn't do anything for humans. <laughs> but slow. We put that on the pod. Like slow reacting radiation yeah. poisoning. Um, so yeah, rather boringly then. Who who outside of the inner sanctum a year out from this World Cup could still do you think break into that team? I was thinking about this the other day, and the only names I can really think of are a batsman again, like someone like Tom Kyler Cadmore, who could maybe come in from nowhere. And, and if so, there is no bowler then. There's no bowler that stands out. I mean, we stay Ollie Stone, and you know he is sharp. I, you know, I, people are having these same, same discussions about Ollie Stone for the Test side as well. So suddenly we need this this quick to come out of nowhere. Lead the test attack and the white ball attack. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not. Yeah, I don't know if it would necessarily work, but it feels like they need to try something because things are not not working. And Ball, mm. Jake Ball, as well, has had a few good games and a few terrible games. I think he's been hit for eighty or yeah. more as 
as often as any bowler in one day cricket history and he's only played what, 15 odd games um, yeah so it just feels like what they've got at the moment is lacking one or two players I mean it might be that that doesn't matter because mm. the full strength first choice 11 you know is still very strong and, and, and this is a further contest to Scotland's victory in the last two summers 2016 and 2017 England only lost three one dayers in the British Isles um, one of which was the Champions Trophy semi-final but the other two were in dead rubber games when they'd already won the series so it shows what an amazing mm. victory it was for, for Scotland yeah, absolutely. I've just I've just thought of one name here, and obviously because a lot of this is down to the fact that you get much of the same in county cricket. You get right arm medium paces who can push themselves to ninety, but not maintain ninety. You know, ninety mm-hmm. is their top speed, never their average speed. Mm. And if you if you've got a bigger right arm seamer who's different to the others, then it's generally is someone like Benny Howell at Gloucestershire, someone with all those little variations. Who, wobbler. Yeah, who's who's you know on the face of it quite unspectacular. Can hold a bat excellent fielder as well but does things differently to, to other people he's kind of a more exaggerated version of Tom Curran mm-hmm. Tom Curran has a sharper delivery but Howell is just picking out every ball from his box of tricks and doing something different I don't think they'll do that but mm. if you can't go express quick you've got to think of something different and he is someone who does that Vish for Howell I yeah. like it um, I, I want to go on record yeah Benny Howell for England <laughs> Benny Howell born in France as well I believe really yeah oh that'd be good south of France so get them all in smashing um, so the reason you know we're in such dire straits, or at the very least after this Scotland victory, you mean us three? Yeah, <laughs> or, or yeah. personally, yeah. yeah. But Australia in town, and just a week ago we were going to thrash them by 100 runs in every ODI, and now we will. Yeah, now they're you know an ODI squad. They come here without. They've got 11 players. Just about, yeah. They've picked um, <laughs> they picked a couple of people who you've probably played. Dougie Waters is in the squad. Right? <laughs> he is. I think yeah, they, yeah. they picked some of them. It was like a jury service. They just it is, uh, yeah. got a letter saying you've got to play on the one-day tour. <laughs> Make your excuses and get out of work. They're coming here with that David Warner, Steve Smith, Who? Mitchell Marsh, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood. They've arrived with a kind of a smorgasbord of established talent and chances from Queensland, seemingly, exclusively. Right. But with the new captain, Tim Payne, Adam Collins has written... Tim Payne's rights of man. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, Pay- Adam Payne? Adam Collins has written a fascinating piece uh, interviewing Yeah, it's really Tim good. Payne. I have to say, if you're listening, and you will be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a superb piece of work, Captain Australia. Um, Speaking to Tim Payne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's actually since the magazine's come out it's gone around around the old world wide web a little bit and been thrown around and Crick Info have picked up on it and so on and they do that don't uh, they? yeah they do do that uh, but they do somewhere in the article actually recognise where it's come from <laughs> but they don't put a link in hey ho <laughs> um, yeah and, and he was he was dead up front you know and impressively so and uh, I've always liked uh, Payne ever since I saw him get a brilliant 100 in the 09 ODI series um, and I always thought He's going to become a really, really impressive player for Australia. And then obviously he had that horrifying finger injury and almost out of the game. The, the article touches on his, how close he was to joining Kookaburra uh, as a representative for them and giving up cricket. He played a summer over here, played club cricket in England, which uh, brought back a degree of love for the game that he'd lost um, and then went back and played a bit of t- 2020 stuff and then obviously fell into the Ashes side and did really well. Um, but he talks about the culture of the Australian side and he talks about how, it's, how they need to reset that culture, how it had borderlined on abuse too often um, and how it was, 
emotionally and temperamentally a waste of everybody's time that they were, they were scuppering themselves because they were wasting so much energy on, uh, as he puts it, abuse. Um, uh, we have to, of course, countenance this with, with Langer's emergence as, as the boss, you know, Langer, the elite mateship of Justin Langer. Um, uh, yeah, Sledging his own family playing Uno. Sta staring at the Sunrise, I think, was his self-help book that he wrote a few years ago, um, which sort of says it all, really. <laughs> or is that uh, one of acoustic numbers? Yeah. Tell, us, tell us, someone, how the Australian cricketing culture is going to be uh, evolving under Justin Langer. Or should it? I, I, you know, they've been caught for, for ball tampering, which is why there's this massive fallout. But does it need to change that much? They, they've done pretty well with this mindset. I think, you know, for the... But they, they are fearsomely unpopular with, with their own people. And that's, that's been the case going back to war, war time. Going back to Steve Waugh's era, through Pontings as well. Various surveys, polls have been done with the Australian cricketing public. And... They have, they have distanced themselves. It seems odd for us because we assume they're all slavering the pack of wolves type, you know, and when you go to the Gabba, they are. But elsewhere, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And, and if, a cricket, if a national cricket team doesn't have a relationship with its people, then it doesn't really amount to anything. So, so, so I, I would argue that they do need to address it uh, in a serious way and not just with lip service. I think they'll win a lot of favour back home on this tour here in the UK because invariably there'll be a couple of shots of the of you know people in the crowd flashing signs about sandpaper comments here and there that will get thrown out in the press and I think it, it's I see some similarities between Stokes in Australia and Australia over here in that the ECB did whatever they could to get Stokes to Australia and when it turned out that they couldn't get him there for what they wanted in there, the Ashes, they made sure he wasn't there at all. Yeah. And as soon as that Trans-Tasman Tri-Series between Australia and New Zealand, as soon as that moved over to New Zealand, he arrived in New Zealand. Yeah. He was there in Hamilton, you know, greeted yeah. with open arms, nearly made one of the... I think he arrived on a Friday, nearly made the game on a Sunday. So Steve Smith's at Calais then. He's, he's <laughs> in the jungle as we speak. He is, yeah. But, but <laughs> Warner, Warner's, David Warner's coming to do commentary. Is he? Yeah. Cheeky. He's doing... I like that. He's yeah. up yours. Channel Nine, yeah. Superb. Um, yeah. Wow. But, but this, I mean, this Australian squad that's here is when only three of them were involved in that test, the uh, the sandpaper test match, mm -hmm. Payne, Lyon, and Sean Marsh, and and Payne's interesting because he's basically a complete outsider. Mm. Um, you know, if he'd said in October to Tim Payne, you'll be captain of Australia in tests and ODIs Talk, talking tour of, of England next summer. Talking about the Adam Collins thing, just this quote, I remember looking around, this is the Cape Town dressing room, I remember looking around and thinking, well, who's going to be captain? Then Trevor Hone said it was me. So, yeah, <laughs> off we went. <laughs> <laughs> the, the anointed one. Um, and the 15-man squad, they've only got four players who were in the Champions Trophy squad last summer, right. wow. uh, which are um, Finch, Travis Head, Maxwell and Marcus Stoinis. So, uh, and seven players who've played fewer than five ODIs. So it is a, it's a fresh, it's kind of untainted yep. team in a lot of ways. As ever though, there'll be a couple that will emerge uh, that'll be well worth watching. Uh, yeah. Richardson with the ball, I saw a bit of over the winter, he's, he's, he's got a lot of promise. Quick. Sharp, tall. Which one? You're gonna Jai. 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 Jai.
Yeah, yeah, exactly. that's Billy Stanlake as well. They've managed to, he's the giant, right? The one out of the cave. The somewhere. tallest man to ever live, I think. Yeah. Yes. He's very highly rated, isn't he? I mean, nice. He's only played six List A matches, two of which are ODIs. He's had quite a bit of success in, in T20. Yeah. Yeah. Joy Richardson's managed to cram about eight spelling mistakes into one syllable in his first game. He's <laughs> 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 the Australian Philip De Freitas. Are you going to tell me that his stats are. Uh, <laughs> God awful now, Richardson. Richardson. Yeah. Well, he's only played one ODI. So sure. I, I saw him in the Big Bash. He played for the, the purple team, whichever that one is, <laughs> uh, and he was impressive. How life has changed for England women. Exclusive interviews with Heather Knight, Tammy Beaumont and Nat Siv. Yeah, so we interviewed... year on from, you know, when the world changed. Um, unfortunately, the curse of the magazine struck again. You know, they, they stunk the place out uh, two days after the magazine had come out. And the day after they got their pay rise, so yeah. Yes, yes indeed. Well, encouragingly, a considerable pay hike in the last few days announced, but underneath, the domestic game remains um, horribly undervalued and, and, and underbacked financially. So uh, is this and and, and the, the, the sense of an us and them is is becoming more and more pronounced, I think, and bubbling under the surface, according to, to this person who, who knows the, the, the county game very closely. She was saying that increasingly there is a degree of kind of uh, angst and aggro between those who are making a good career out of this and those who are sacrificing everything just to play the game. Which is a problem in terms of getting better at it if you have to also have a job or be a student. Of course, yeah. Yeah. I mean, is this the right way to use the resources to pay the top players more, or should they be looking to to support that apart level from, underneath? Apart from that six weeks uh, during the KSL, uh, there is no payment for county players outside of that six weeks. Uh, but a season goes on for six months, and then you've got to train during the winter as well. And you have to give up an enormous amount. And yeah, if you're a 23-year-old, then you need a job. You need to pay your way. Uh, and how that can fit in with being a county cricketer and hoping to be able to get to that next level, that becomes very difficult to square. Um, so it's, it's hugely encouraging that the, the girls at the top are being recognised, but that money, the domestic game has to be addressed. And or how, else how, how would the that chasm's going to get ever wider. How would that be done? Because there is an unprecedented amount of money in cricket at the moment, but there is a significant problem that at pretty much every level it is not being used enough for the long-term betterment of the game mm. so should the I mean we even you know, men's county cricket is essentially subsidized by yeah. television money yeah. so they need to be diverting more of that to well, building the women's game building the, the girls game so yeah they, it's, in, it's they need to be almost looking 20 years ahead don't they to mm, think in, right, indeed if we want to have a successful women's game in 20 years you're going to need to be able to have Eight teams playing competitively in a domestic yeah. competition. It's 1.3 million annually. Uh, the ECB's golden handshake to the counties to get them to agree to the hundred. I've heard nothing with regards to county women's teams. Any subsidies coming as a consequence of the the deal with the BBC and Sky? Yeah. Have you heard anything? No. Well, it's quite interesting when um, when the news of the hundred came through and there was two, uh, they mentioned the, you know they were scrapping the KSL, which yeah. is which was finding its feet in the first year and last year was on its own actually quite an interesting product and quite an entertaining product. So to think that, what, in a year's time they'll be bidding it, it seems crazy really, considering that 
you see the strides <laughs> women's cricket has made and yeah. how quickly it makes those strides. Not like cricket administrators to do something crazy <laughs> with no logic behind it. And the we've you know we've heard to, from from people in the know. You know, Claire Collins spoken about how it's something they'll address, but we've not actually given anything that will be that we will see. You know, the, the men's men uh, men's cricket is gonna, are going to have the hundred, and they'll also have the T Twenty Blast, which is a little bit of a nonsense. But women's cricket isn't going to have a T Twenty Blast. At least not now. At least we've not been told no. to replace it. And well, also, one thing that I put, sorry, I'll crack on. Well, one of the more interesting things was um, I spoke to a coach uh, the day it was announced, and he had no idea that he'd be losing his job yeah. in, in a year's time. Essentially, yeah. he was, he's a coach at a KSL club. Yeah. So I mean, there's yeah so much misinformation and a lack of information about. Yeah, um, more money is as we know flooding into the women's game on a on a world level. Um, I wrote an editorial in the the current magazine about this. So the ICC have hiked up the prize money. Um, well, for last year's World Cup, the prize money was hiked up to two million from about 500 grand the previous one. So that's a significant jump, obviously, from a paltry pot in the first place. But that's compared to 7.7 .7 million for the men's tournament. Um, if the ECB want to try and convince a few people of the worth of the 100 uh, and the, the, new, the new age, the new way, then they could do a lot worse. And I've written this than make the prize pots uh, comparable, the prize pots equal uh, for the men's tournament and the women's tournament, which they are trumpeting as running together concurrently. Um, that would in turn elevate the women's game, I think, and it would uh, develop a broader pool of motivated and hopefully remunerated young cricketers. Is if you've got eight franchises and you're paying the same amount of prize money as you're paying the eight male franchises, then suddenly the pot uh, well, th those who benefit widens considerably. Um, would, it, would it make the competition more or less interesting if there was basically one league table? So the, the eight franchises have a men's team and a women's team, and all their results go into the one final table. So all those games are. Oh, equal that's equal. far too inventive. <laughs> that's great. That undoubtedly would. It, you, you run up. People will say, well, it makes a mockery of it. Yeah, but then people say that about everything, every innovation, <laughs> well, every change. Well, the hundred is making a mockery of stuff anyway. So what does double mockery <laughs> makes... Um, non is it, is, I'm not a mathematician, but is it? <coughs> a double negative makes a... Positive, makes a positive, positive apparently, yeah. 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 mockery. All right, let's just go with that. I love that idea. That's a beauty. We've sold it already. Yeah. Inside, what, it's on half an hour. That is Episode four of the Wisdom Podcast. Now to talk more about the magazine, Phil Walker, you spoke to Colin Graves. Now, listeners, you have to read this interview for a number of reasons. But he's obviously he's obviously did the rounds in the press over the last couple of months and trying to defend his name and say he defended his name eloquently. And you spoke to him and he was uh, he was very forthcoming. Uh, is, that a, is that a diplomatic way to say it? Full yeah, time? I can't believe you've asked me about this. Just, just go and read it, folks. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I passed Michael Atherton um, in the members' bar of Kent's Canterbury Ground. He'd already done his bit for the Times. Uh, walked right past me and he said, um, he's waiting for you, in combative mood. <laughs> and then sort of stride, strode past, you know. Um, I've never met Colin Graves before. Uh, he was very gracious very kind of physically buoyant, edge of his chair, slapping his hand on the desk, big smile. Um, and we had a good kind of ding-dong chat, really. 
he was fully geared up. He'd been briefed. Um, and even before we got going and I pressed record, he was already making the case that the 100 is set in stone. And that phrase did emerge. It emerged on the record. It emerged off the record. Um, and it emerged in every other outlet for the rest of the day. And uh, the impact that that phrase had was brilliantly skewered by Daryl Mitchell on Twitter, who said, well, if it is set in stone, you might want to tell Tom Harrison, who is, of course, Graves' colleague at the ECB, because he told us uh, otherwise. And, and suddenly, this kind of cleverly developed sort of edifice of, of coherency that the ECB wanted to present is kind of broken down. And um, Look, I mean... If, if you're looking for a kind of hatchet job on Colin Graves, then you're certainly not going to find it in this, in this piece. He, he speaks openly. We, sp we spoke about his, his childhood, his background. He played cr cr cricket for 45 years up in Yorkshire. He created his own club because he made some money in Costcutter, built his own village club. Um, his three dinner party guests, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, Churchill, who showed us what we could do in adversity, quote, and Thatcher, and he gives a, a kind of a bravura defence of Thatcher's um, uh, stance in the early 80s. He was, of course, a Yorkshireman, is a Yorkshireman, professionally so, and... So he chose Thatcher above Freddie Truman? He did, yeah! <laughs> yeah. Um, That's the, 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 ECB, the ECB's press man was, was in the interview um, sitting next to us and was kind of saying, pick a cricketer, pick a cricketer. <laughs> he said, I'm not picking a bloody cricketer. And so there it was, yeah. Fergie, Churchill, Thatcher... Um, is it, so it, it, was, it was a spirit defence of, the, of the, the, the 100. I don't want to get into the 100 again. You know that I have a kind of a more uh, pragmatic approach to this thing. I think there is a degree of method in the madness. I think it's a, it's a rather desperate whiff, but, but, but I, I don't condemn the thing uh, outright. Do you, not, do you not think if they were going to try something supposedly radical, yeah. rather than just a minor tinkering with a formula that is so successful it evidently doesn't need tinkering with, why not try something genuinely different? Have two bowlers from one end, and you get through the game at far greater speed. Yeah. Uh, you have, you know, eight ball overs, four balls from yeah. each bowler. Could, there was a number of different things they could have done. If they wanted to to try something radical mm. that, that might bring something new mm. to the game and speed the whole process up, it seemed that that was a weird way of doing it. Yeah, the, the ten ball thing I'm no fan of. Um, the I would have just probably had something like 25 ball overs or, or something along those lines. Because tearing in. <laughs> Um, as I say, I don't want to get mired in the hundred. I really don't. Please. It's what I've always been dreaming of. But one, one of the things about the that Graves interview is that they need to be checked by the ECB. You know, they're never going to. This, let one, you... this one wasn't. This one wasn't. This one wasn't. Well, this they. I mean, they all the more reason to. It, it, it might. It might look like it's been horribly uh, cold, but no, it, it, it is genuine. Bish. It hasn't been checked. And I haven't waved it under anybody's nose. Not checked. You could have made up a lot of really yeah. good stuff. Like yeah. That. Who's to say that I haven't? <laughs> I'm still awaiting the call. So he's a Yorkshire. So judging, <laughs> yeah, he's from Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> but judge, judging by Ferguson's presence at his dinner table, is he? He's a Yorkshire-based. He's, he's gone for right? three alphas, hasn't he? He's gone for Churchill, Fergie, and Thatcher, and he talks about all three of them in terms of what they did in adversity, what they were faced with, the opposition they were faced with, and yet they they drove on through with their their agenda. You might possibly want to read something into that. You might think that maybe there's a kind of self-reflection there, but that would be for you as the readers to decide. One of the other pieces that really st stood out to me is Daniel Gerland, a South African-based cricket writer. Yeah, brilliant stuff. His piece on activism in cricket. There's been a surge across other sports of political um, 
I suppose political political activism, kneeling for the anthem in the NFL, um, the Golden State Warriors before they won the uh, the recent NBA series, refusing to attend the White House and therefore not getting an invite to the White House. <laughs> and this piece is quite interesting because he talks about how how actually in cricket it seems to be going the other way. Yeah, there's less activism now. Yeah, um, again, it's one to read because it's a very involved um, piece. He, he's interviewed a couple of cricketers. Uh, and it's in the context of Zafar Ansari's brilliant piece that he wrote for the Almanac in light of his retirement at 24-5, when part of what he wrote for the Almanac was this, the essential point that as a cricketer I had a great platform um, to get my point across but was limited in my capacity to do so. And he found that, Zafar found that hard to square. Uh, it helped that he's got 17 brains and will obviously become the king of the world within 18 months anyway. Uh, um, but, but it's kind of led off from that. And the, the, the Moeen Ali save Gaza wristband, the infamous banning of that wristband, the argument was a political statement, so you're not allowed to make them, and him, and him saying well, it was a humanitarian statement, uh, where the line is drawn. But of course, if the, the governance and the authorities are going to come down like a ton of bricks on you, then why would you dare put your head above the parapet? And then, if sponsors are going to start pulling away from you, then it becomes ever more complicated for a cricketer to actually talk out and be honest about how they feel about the world. Yeah, as also I'll throw it to you on this one because the you know the, the line that gets thrown out so long is politics and sport can't mix. But in cricket, they just, always do. Well, well, well especially but... in cricket because of the way because of the reason why these countries play cricket, so many of them. There's no way. Well, you, can't, well, you can't separate politics and sport, particularly not international sport, mm. and even really any professional club sport. Um, it depends very much how you define politics. But you know, a nation is a political entity just by playing as a nation. That is, you know, that's yeah. political. You look at in American sports, playing the national anthem before every match, mm. which I've never understood. Uh, that bizarre, is making it? it explicitly political. Yeah. Um, so you can't you can't separate uh, those two things, and in terms of you know the, the kind of economic commercialism of it, then you, know, you could argue that the sort of rampant commercialism of professional sport that is a political uh, there's a political element to that clearly. So you can't you can't separate them, um, and uh, I think players are put in a very difficult position on a sort of personal level that they mm. you know, they stand to lose a lot if they. Make a statement and get get slapped down or punished by their boards or their their, their sponsors or whatever. I think it's uh, and they obviously in, in in difficult positions. Uh, just briefly, this works really well on a podcast. Look at that for an illustration. It's a it's a lovely illustration, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that lovely? Yeah. Uh, is that, is that you'd say nada. Is that our own Joe Provis? Our own Joe Provis oh. with an idea from Phil Walker, editor in chief. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Prime is too cool for Twitter. I mean, we mentioned that. You, you mentioned Flower earlier. He does listen to this, though. He Andy does. Flower? Oh, yeah. You know, the Flower Henry Alonso protest is the one that people think of when you immediately think of that kind of activism from a player. But also, you know, there was, there was the Oval Test here in the 80s where Sri Lankan protesters ran on mm-hmm. onto the field and lay on the ground with um, banners about Tamil Elam and things like that. I think... Mm. David Frith told me about that story because he was there and chose to focus on the girls putting the bales inside their knickers. That being the, the key right. vignette, the key takeaway, as they say <laughs> these days, from that 
that particular protest. Yeah, I mean, now it's what I'll think when I think of that. Sure, yeah. and that was my intention. Yeah, good. You being a man of, 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 of such bearing. Yeah, sorry about that, Vic. <laughs> there you go. Right, right. Um, Zoltzman, we need to talk about you for a start. As we mentioned, Morgan's. <laughs> We've got action-packed summer. Yes. Um, are you going to watch any cricket? Are you well, allowed to watch any cricket? Uh, well, I'm, do, I'm doing the Test match special for the one, the one days and the T20 international. So you'll need to watch those. So the next month I'm yeah. largely in cricket mode. Then uh, yeah, I've got a short run at Soho Theatre in, in July doing Satirist for Hire. It's a show where people can email me in topics that I then address in the show. So I you, tend to get a few cricket requests. Well, yeah, you must do, yeah. Um, the more, the better, if you're listening to this. Uh, satirise this at satirisforhigh.com. Um, then I'm going to the, the Edinburgh Festival in, in August. So yeah, my cricket-watching schedule is slightly disrupted by uh, by comedy. I, I hesitate to call it my job, since job <laughs> seems ridiculously uh, stretched definitionally. Uh, um, but, yeah, so I, 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 I'm going to miss quite a lot of the England-India because it kicks off at the start of August, yeah. I just want to ask you on that then, um, just before we wrap up here, how do you see that, that test series going and who's your, who's your standout for England? Well, I think, I think Anderson's the key player in the whole series, really. If he can undermine the Indian batting with his uh, prodigious skill and swing, then I think England will probably win. And if they get on top of him, I think India will probably win. It is slightly alarming that we're, we're still resting on Jimmy Anderson's broken well, shoulders. Well, he does, he evidently, at some point, around about 2008, discovered some kind of secret elixir of eternal youth. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you look at him, you think, I mean, he, he looks like he could play for another 15 yeah, years. Yeah, and, uh, he's, doing he t- he's doing TMS with yeah, him, yeah. in the ODI series, yes. Um, but, and also, I mean, it's the same, same with Cook, they're both, you know, I guess relatively old, as cricketers go by historic standards. But in the modern age, with sports science as it is, yeah. they're both in amazing shape, and also because they don't play one-dayers or yeah. T20 franchise cricket, they, I don't know, they play, what, four months a year? They have a huge amount of rest time, mm. so there's no reason why they couldn't both go on way beyond what cricketers have historically done. And also, you look at Richard Hadley, and I guess Anderson is a similar bowler in a lot of ways to what Hadley was towards mm. the end of his career. He played till he was... Was forty on the nineteen ninety tour here. Mm. I would not be surprised if Anderson plays for several more years. Mm-hmm. Alison Cook is still the fittest in the inside by a long way. Yeah, they said that Johnny Bairstow, who's the second fittest, kind of always goes out in that very Johnny Bairstow way of being the most intense thing you could ever do at any one moment. I've got some Bairstow stats by the way. Oh, brilliant! And he always comes second to Cook. Go on. Yeah, well, I mean, and uh, I, I think with with Cook and to, with Anderson to an extent, a lot of it is not the physical side of it, but how. You know, there's a mental side of it, how long they want to keep sort of confronting that challenge of uh, mm. in, international sport. Um, also, clearly, there's, there's, with any sportsman, looking at retirement, it's not going to be as exciting generally. So, mm. I, mean, I, can, I can see both of them playing for a long, mm. long time more. Johnny Bairstow, three hundreds in uh, his last three ODIs. Um, and the, the list of players who've done that is, I mean, he's the first uh, Englishman. Zahir Abbas was the first, Saeed Anwar, Herschel Gibbs, Avi de Villiers, Quinton de Kock, Ross Taylor, Sangha Kara, who did four in a row in the, in the last World Cup, Babar Azam, and now Bairstow. So some pretty tiny players uh, along that. And they've been off, um, I think it was 81, 58, and 54 balls. Um, and uh, that's more hundreds than he scored in his last 48 innings in Test cricket, um, which. And he's now scored ten hundreds for England, five in Tests, five in ODIs, and none of them have been after he's kept wicket. 
So his five test hundreds have all been in the, the opening innings of a match. So he's never scored 100 having kept wicket in tests. And his five ODI hundreds have been when he's not been the wicketkeeper. So you can read into that what you will. Ooh, but what I read into it is that England would be better off having him as a specialist batsman in tests. Agreed. And a top-class fielder, which they yeah. like in their test side. Oh, this is... My confirmation bias backed up by actual stats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the dream. Yeah. There's no better place to end this. It's just... <laughs> it's like being... Oh, Charlotte Roswell, Roswell really happened. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's call this one. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. As a, having described all your jobs at the top, as a very busy man, we appreciate the hour that you've... I couldn't always here. make time for it's, it's the top dollar that we're paying. Oh, yeah, 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 it is that. The one that. top dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and that exchange rate as well. Phil, thank you as ever. No worries. We'll thank you. you again. Well, have to see you again, haven't we? Yeah, afraid so, yeah. That's how yeah. this works. Yeah, we're locked into this. <laughs> From all of us here, thank you. Goodbye. We'll be joining you very shortly. And um, buy the magazine, please. Buy the magazine, yes, on sale now. Go to wisdom.com, it's a lovely website, and the magazine is all over it. Go and get it, it's fabulous. Podcast Network.